It's tough being a teen, and it's even tougher when you're saving the world but still have to be home in time to finish your algebra homework. On today's episode, Charlie extols the virtues of Richter and Shatterstar, Mikey gets emotional about the runaways, and we talk to writer Christina Strain about her run on Generation X. And welcome to The Young Ones, a podcast about teen superhero teams and why we love them. My name is Charlie, and I use they, them pronouns. And I'm Mikey, and I use he, him pronouns. And today is the day. Today, on today's episode, <laughs> we have two very special guests. We do. We have two special guests. And I've been hyping it up, and so is Mikey. So I'll introduce our editor first. Everett Christensen is here, and he writes our lovely articles for us. Hello, my name is Everett Christensen. I use he, him pronouns. And uh, also, Christina Strain is here. (laughs) Hi, I'm Christina Strain. I use she, her pronouns. And I was a colorist and now I'm a writer. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Hello. This is this is just still extremely exciting for me. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for for coming on the show. And also, for kind of helping this get started because you are i think some of charlie's inspiration in terms of like the twitter the twitter thread that started it all (laughs) (laughs) only in 2018 can you say that yeah right (laughs) (laughs) i mean because we had we had thought about doing a podcast but what was really difficult was like nailing down exactly what it was going to be about that was unique to us and wasn't something that other people had tried so you know we we toyed around with a concept like there's a google doc full of half-baked concepts for podcasts but it wasn't until it was kind of like this is what i really like you know why don't i just do a podcast about that and everyone was kind of like yeah that sounds awesome and then Charlie was like, oh, my God, Mikey, I have an idea for a podcast. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's great. And thank, thank you. you. Again. Thank you again, Christina, for helping bring this to life. Well, thank you guys for having me. Oh, any and at all times in any way, shape or form. Um, but that kind of leads us to um, what today's episode's about. And we're going to probably talk about some of the things aside from Gen X, but um, I have a massive document here full of questions <laughs> about Generation X individually. And before we start, um, I know I expressed this before we started recording, but this book has been an absolute wonder. Thank you so much for writing it and pitching it and like giving us this book. And I'm extremely sad that it's going to end, but it's not ending yet. So I'm not going to be sad right now. (laughs) Yeah, not yet. The last issue is really, really fun. (laughs) Good. Yes, I I, I anticipate as much. And just in general, it's it's just been such a good thing to read. And I'm glad we got it out of Resurrection or Resurrection, however you want to say that. But thank you again. Is there a house like canon on how that's pronounced? I think it's just resurrection because Daniel always said resurrection to me and it was kind of his event. So I'm assuming it was just, they were like, we'll call it resurrection. X. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You gotta like, put X's in things. Yeah. People like to insert the X in a, in a phonetic way. Yeah. <laughs> just because it's silly. <laughs> but like I said, I will just uh, kind of start here 
And I guess that kind of starts our first question. What brought you to, you know, Gen X specifically? Was it your only pitch for an X-Men title for Resurrection? Or was there something else that you wanted? Or was this the only thing? It was the only pitch. So, you know, back in 2016, I was working on season two of The Magicians, uh, full-time TV writing. And I had written a short uh, Civil War II story for Marvel using White Fox. And they liked it. My editor at the time, Daniel Ketchum, who had been a friend of mine for like 10 years because he had been my editor when I was a colorist, he ended up calling me because he knew me from my time on Runaways and he knew that teen superheroes were... I was like, that's all that matters. Yep. <laughs> he contacted me and he was like, how do you feel about writing a teen X book for Marvel? And I was like, well, I think it sounds really awesome. I'm crazy busy, but like, what are you thinking? And he was like, well... I was thinking about bringing Generation X back. It's been a really long time. And I was like, holy shit. Um, yeah, that sounds really cool. And he was like, okay, come up with uh, an idea and then pitch it to me. And so like, I thought about it for a while. But because I had, um, you know, I had a day job that kept me occupied from like 9am till six or seven o'clock at night, I was like, I can't. I'm going to treat this very much like if I'm going to do this, I know it's going to suck up what little time I have to sleep. <laughs> and I'm only going to pitch one idea. It's the only idea I'm really interested in writing. And so I pitched the whole you know concept of the quote unquote level of losers to him. And I initially was like, he's going to say no, there's no way in hell. And then he like listened and was like, yeah, no, that's great. Let's do that. And I was like, okay, well, it was meant to be then. We're going to do this. Let's do this. So that was how it happened. <laughs> that's funny because that kind of answers my question of, well, I guess for mine is kind of like backed up a little bit from that. So I guess how did you make the jump from, you know, being a colorist to being a TV writer then back to comics? Yeah. So my jump was a little crazy. I basically, while I was coloring for Marvel, I got to a point where I got what I have lovingly said, quoted as spandex fatigue. Mm. <laughs> I grew up in Asia with a ton of different comics. So Runaways was like my safe haven. And when Runaways came to an end, I was suddenly only on spandex superheroes, which they're really fun. I have a good time doing it. I just need variety. So... I got to a point where I started writing web comics because I realized the only way for me to color comics that I was interested in working on was to write them. So I wrote a few web comics and this weird thing happened where I just, I really enjoyed writing them the way I really enjoyed coloring when I first started coloring. So I kind of realized I was like, okay, this is something that I really want to do. The problem is learning how to write as you're coloring is really difficult because, you know, coloring is this 24-7 job. You're the last person in line. Your deadline is the only one that can't shift. Right. And so I was very much at the beck and call of my editors, you know, depending on what book I was working on. So I kind of made this decision where I was like, you know, I spent a few years going to night classes and writing web comics and doing comics for Marvel where I was like, I need to just fully commit. So I ended up retiring officially from coloring. Um, just as Adrian Alfona came back to penciling and I was like, you mother. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like went to grad school to do screenwriting to basically buy myself two years of doing nothing but writing. And I went to um, the American Film Institute for that. And while I was there, I did a TV ad, like I did a 
pilot adaptation of a uh, web comic that I had written called The Fox Sister. And crazy as it sounds, like that got me my manager, who then got me my job on the magicians. And can I just shout out real quickly that I read Fox Sister completely independent from any of your other works and completely <laughs> fell in love. I read a lot of translated Korean web novels. Oh, wow. Because it's just something that I'm passionate in. And the story that you brought was just incredible. So I just want to say massive shout out to Fox Sister for being a perennial fave. Well, thank you so very much. Yeah, it was... Um... It, that that comic was such a product of me saying to um, an artist like, hey, I really want to work with you. I'm going to pitch you a few ideas. And I clearly wanted to do something that was like Korean folklore based. And she was like super into it. And so we did that. And it was funny because like she is, she's Canadian, but she is also French Algerian, I think. So like she would turn in pages and I'd be like, no, nah, man, this don't look like Korea enough. I'm going to send you photos. <laughs> I'd photos where I'd be like, it needs to look more like this. This is the palette we need to use. And she was great because she like totally would give me PSD files and will allow me to do coloring on uh, on top of her colors. So I'd be oh, like, okay, that's great. It. Yeah, it was great because it was so very like, I just want this to feel like Korea. <laughs> no. Oh, gosh. That's, that's super important. <laughs> yeah, also. Um, but that kind of actually brings me to another question that I had um, about Nathaniel. Oh. Because like, I love I love white haired mutants. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love like Tommy Shepard. Like, I just love I love them. And since Nathaniel was kind of like the focal point, like kind of entry character for this book. Yeah. How, what was your process for like creating him as a character? Cause like we all play role playing games. We kind of know how to create this kind of character. <laughs> what was, what was your, what was your, I guess the precedent for that? Okay. So I, I have been very forthright about this multiple times. So I'll, I'll step you guys through the truly embarrassing process of how Nathaniel Carver came to be. <laughs> <laughs> so years and years and years ago, there was another book that I'm not going to name because I don't want to get real embarrassing. But there was there was another book that I did not work on that my editor, Daniel Ketchum, and I, there was a point where we were talking about it. And it's great. It's amazing. And he was like, you know, that one character is based off the writer. And I was like, wait, what? We genuinely had a moment where we were like, that character is based off that writer. And that is like, incredible. That's that dude's living the dream. <laughs> that dude like did the smartest thing ever. And he's totally living the dream. So I just had a moment where I was like, Daniel, why can't we live the dream? Why can't <laughs> I, Christina Strain, base a character off of you, Daniel Ketchum, and just name him Nathaniel? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we loosely, like, he's Korean, and I'm half Korean. So I was just like, let's, you know, let's make him half Korean for me. We'll make him Nathaniel for you. And I loosely based him off Daniel. Like, the only thing that's like Daniel is like his, his, some of his affectations and his personality and his, his snarky comments. But like, I just was, you know, I decided to make a character, like I was going to like make one character for Marvel and I was going to make him for us. He was going to be our kid. And what was funny is when I started looking into it, I was like, I don't really know that there are any Korean X-Men characters might have accidentally done something cool. You did, you did do something cool. Like, absolutely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Totally. And so like the other thing that came about when we were talking about him was I was like, I think that, you know, obviously, if I was going to base him off of Daniel, who is an out gay man, I was like, I'm going to make him a gay character. But one thing that I've noticed is that in a lot of gay stories, like, 
the coming out story has been covered by multiple books. And I was like, the one thing I wanted to do was write a super normalized gay relationship mm. that was written like any other relationship. So I told Daniel, I was like, I just want to write this guy. These two kids have a crush on each other. Everybody knows it. And then they end up like clearly admitting to each other how they feel. And then you'll have to read the next issue to see how that pans out. But like, it was just, that's kind of how it came to be. And then the whole gray hair thing with the gray white hair thing, I just looked at our lineup and having an art background, I know how important it is for characters to visually be different. I looked at our cast and I was like, everybody is a brunette. (laughs) (laughs) Guys. Well, except Roxy, but you know, she's a crystal girl. Well, yeah, exactly. But everybody with like hair, hair is a brunette, except for, you know, I boy, the one blonde kid. So I was like, I was initially going to go, we need, you know, he's Asian. He should clearly have black hair. But then I was like, oh, he's also like inspired by Rogue. So let's go with gray, white hair. It'll look good on him and he'll pop that way. I love it. Well, and silver hair is super in now, too. It is. It all lined up really well. And it's funny because when I told the Milkar that he was inspired, like a part of him was inspired by Rogue, he did his original drawing of Nathaniel was this like kind of badass biker looking dude with like white bangs. And I was like, two things. This guy's based on Daniel, which means he's going to be dapper as hell. He can't be wearing that bike. Like, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be that obvious that I love Rogue. Let's give him <laughs> I kind of need to see this art. Like, this is like, this is kind of the thing I live for. It's online. I think, in fact, Milkar's either got it on his Instagram or his Twitter, but you can find it. It's awesome. Hilarious. He looks just so badass. And I was like, listen, no. <laughs> if if anything the whole glove thing and the way that he takes his gloves off reminded me a lot of rogue um so i was actually wondering if that was an influence there so it definitely still got through it's definitely an influence (laughs) right (laughs) no and like oh that kind of uh you said something and you and you just kind of said it but that i've been thinking about this for like years does that mean that quentin because here's my thought Mm -hmm. quentin's hair he was kind of like not human for a while. Yeah. And when he did come back, his hair was pink, which I always thought was, you know, if you can reconstitute your own body, why just not give yourself pink hair and not have to dye it? Does that actually mean that Quentin still dyes his hair, Christina? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, I'm really sad that you asked that question because there's like, I have a few small regrets about Gen X. And one of my regrets is that I didn't do a haircutting scene between Benjamin and Quentin because in my head, like... Quentin asks Benjamin to cut his hair on a regular basis. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> okay. Like, all right. All right, you guys. Like, personal headcanon time. The X-Men have to have a barbershop culture. Right? There has to be a barber culture. Right? As a black dude, knowing what, like, people who have to upkeep their hair on a regular basis go through. Yeah. There has to be an entire culture of mutants centered around hair. And on top of that, my husband has a mohawk and I have to help him maintain it. So so that sort of that sort of haircut is not like you have to get it. Like Everett was saying, you have to maintain that pretty regularly. And like John's lucky I'm his wife because, (laughs) you know, like once every two weeks, he's like, could you like clean up my mohawk? And I'm like, Ugh. I guess so. And someone who's who's currently experiencing a um, a side cut that's growing out to the fact that I actually look like Shatterstar on one side. And I like with the like the uh, growed out like mullet 
with long in the back on one side. I get it. I get it totally. Yeah, it takes work. And especially when you can't see the back of your head, that's when you like, you have to have somebody help you maintain that because you can't see what you're doing. That, um, no. Yeah, that exact reason is the reason I still pay money to go to a salon to get my hair bleached yeah. rather than just doing it myself. Because I can dye it myself, but I do not trust myself to do bleach all the way around because it would just be a disaster. It's a lot of work. But you know what? Going back to the question, I do believe that Quentin would trust Benjamin to bleach and dye his hair. <laughs> that is a That was a nice segue into this other question that I had. <laughs> um honestly um because like me i I think me and like a community of individuals that are also out there um thought you know there was something between quentin and benjamin and um one of my questions was like was there ever like a thought that like quentin would like come out as like being queer having a crush on benjamin i know that's not how it turned out and i really enjoy how it turned out but was there ever any consideration given to that no, actually, there wasn't. This is going to sound... It's so funny because, like, had this not been a Marvel book, it probably actually would have been an actual love triangle because I'm that person. But um, I specifically went into Quentin's character going, I don't want him to have any romance whatsoever because he's too much of a fucking disaster to have a relationship. That's fair. <laughs> you are correct. So, like, I genuinely... Um, it's always interesting to me because, like, I... It never occurred to me that Quentin could be pan or buy um but in retrospect thinking about it like after our um multiple people on twitter asked me that i was like huh i could totally see that i honestly didn't put a ton of thought into that um when i started outlining stuff and planning stuff because again genuinely i just didn't plan on giving quentin any sort of uh, romantic relationship because the only thing i wanted to do for him was establish the family connection mm. i thought in you know rereading his character the most important thing for me with quentin was the easiest way for me to explain like the end of you know latour's run was that like he left because he has a really hard time committing to the idea that this is his family like he got really close in wolverine and the x-men and then he like rejects the you know thesis and he like leaves so i was like if that's where i'm picking him up then I think what I need to do is address the fact that he needs to commit to the school. So the only commitment that I ever thought about giving Quentin was the idea that he was committing to staying. Um, And that required me to like sit down and think about what he really needed and what I thought he really needed was a brother. Yeah, I think I think that's a really fair point. And I think it mirrors Quentin's journey very well because like his, you know, his original appearance in New X-Men you know, he learns that he's adopted and that he wants Charles Xavier to be that father figure for him. And Charles Xavier is never going to be that father figure for pretty much anyone except maybe Scott Summers. Let's be honest. We saw how that ended up. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) And, you know, he also realizes that, yeah, like he and Professor Xavier don't see eye to eye, like at all. Um, But also that, you know, that leaves him with no father figure. So like Quentin's always trying to find people to fill those gaps in his life because he has the whole, you know, Omega gang. And then in Jason Latour's run, he has well, and then he has the Cuckoos. And then in Jason Latour's run, he has ID and Evan and, you know, all those folks. And I think like almost the relationship with with ID was almost like to have that like to have a place of belonging and like have someone accept him yeah 
Um, like he didn't really need a girlfriend. He needed a family. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's really important. And I think, I think that's what a lot of people think when they talk about Quentin being with anybody is they want someone, they want to put him with someone who's going to be able to make that connection with him. And the way that you described that Christina was like really awesome. Um, because you are absolutely right. Like he doesn't need to be with somebody. He needs to have a family. Yeah. Because I genuinely believe that like, you know, listen, I am a huge fan of RuPaul's Drag Race, and I love that every time RuPaul's like, you know, <laughs> if you can't love yourself, how are you going to love anybody else? Yeah, I was going to say that. But I think that there's like a blocks in process. Like, you have to, before you can trust that you're going to love somebody, you need to understand and accept the concept of family. Before you can make that person your family, you have to know what family is. And I think, especially since, and I've thought of a lot about this because I adopted a kid last year. One of the things that's always been horrifying to me that extends beyond, you know, Quentin has clearly been looking for family is like his family dumped him there and then told him over the phone. They basically broke up their family over the phone, which to me is like horrifying. And then nobody's ever taken that thread and kind of run with it. So like, I always just felt like, you know, Xavier was never really his father figure. Like everybody else has never really understood how desperate it Quentin is for this family structure. Yeah. So like so nicely back in with Jubilee because like if anybody's gonna understand that it's gonna be somebody who is constantly thinking about how to make sure their kid understands that they are a they are a family unit right. unit you know and as someone that was like you know like a teenage kind of runaway like she exactly you know didn't have anyone and in fact the the series that she was in right before yours I can't remember the name of it offhand it's just X Men it was just yeah. okay and she was in Hellcat most recently oh yeah. So in one of the books, like she and Logan go back to her original home and they like talk about that for a little while. Mm-hmm. And like that was like they go back and go to her old stomping grounds. And Logan has this whole thing of like, you know, you've changed a lot since that mall rat that, you know, exploded things. And, you know, they have Shogo with them. And that was a really good moment. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because like I think had Wolverine and X-Men volume two continued, because unfortunately it did not due to a lot of different factors, like Logan had been kind of that father figure almost for Quentin. He was almost there and then he died. And like that's kind of like what set off that super like self-destructive collapse at the end of that book with Quentin. And that's also where he was, was like having lost another potential family figure. So yeah, and that was something that like really it made me so sad. Yeah, like a big old bear. I think it made Charlie and I cry. Yeah, that whole end of that that run. Yeah, it was that that was rough, and it was it was just it's kudos for you for like honestly taking that string from New X Men and like pulling it all the way to now to like get that resolved. Like that's actually amazing. Yeah, in like a time where we don't see a lot of we don't really see a lot. We see a lot of like here is this thing that we should be excited to see because it's something the X-Men do all the time, like baseball or like things we're supposed to like imprint on emotionally. But we don't see a lot of pulling forward of like continuity because it's obviously it's hard to work with continuity because it's all messy. But like when you get something that right, the way that you did, chef's kiss. Beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, no, for real. Because I think Charlie and I talked about this um, a couple episodes back. There was like kind of a similar thing semi-recently with Al Ewing pulling on some of the threads from the original Young Avengers run. And that took like 10 years. And it's like incredible that, you know, both that nobody picked up on that before and like never pulled that through the whole like scroll prince 
mumbo jumbo. Yeah. Like nobody really dealt with that until like 10 years later in a book that was like not even a young Avengers title. So like for me as a comics fan and someone that likes to see character development, especially with kids and like teen books, because like finding family is super important. Yeah. Like I'm glad both to see that as a main plot thread in a book and as something that, you know, like finally, you know, you kind of have that closure or at least like if not closure, like at least it's addressed. So it's out in the open. Yeah. Like for me, and this might be because, you know, I spend so much time in a TV room and we're constantly talking about character arcs. But for me, when I took this book on, my first thought was my favorite thing about teen books or X books in general are, you know, it's a bunch of outsiders who create a family for each other, who get to understand each other and grow from it. So in order for me to feel like I was actually building that sort of growth, I felt very inclined to go back and read as many stories involving these kids as possible. And Quentin, like, it was so funny because, like, of all of them, I thought Quentin's was the clearest. It was just so clear to me. But at the same time, he's in a lot of goddamn books. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. It took yes. a lot of reading, so I get... And on top of that, the second that it was announced that he was in my book, he was suddenly appearing in all these other books that I had no idea what they were doing. <laughs> Son of a bitch! What is happening right now? And I people would be like, well, what, is, what do you think of this? And I'm like, what do you mean he's in another book? What? <laughs> what do you mean he's out in space getting the uh, getting a piece of the, <laughs> the phoenix? <laughs> and I was like, God damn it, Jason Aaron, I know he's your favorite child ever, but how was I supposed to know he was going to be in Thor? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, because I like read that and I really thought I was like, okay, how is this all going to like circumvent back through? And apparently you also had the same kind of thought. Like, how am I? What am I supposed to do with this? I totally did. Like I had an I had like a panic initially where I was like, I had already started writing and I was already several issues in. And I was like, do I act like it's been there? What am I supposed to do? Um, Holy crap. So I just made this choice at the time to not address it at all. And then it it paid off in the end because like when we were trying to figure out how to restore Jubilee and like my editor just like reminded he was like, you know, he's got he's got the shard and there's this precedent of like restoring me. And I was like, no, 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 stop. The shard is enough. I was like, let me think about this for a hot second. Like just reminding me that it was there is great because like I can go back and think about how to apply the phoenix. So I was like, this is going to help me. So everybody, everybody is so on like this happened to Jubilee. This is an amazing thing that happened to Jubilee. I think the moment is equally as heavy for Quentin. Mm-hmm. Oh, you haven't even read the next issue. <laughs> I so. know, and I'm very excited about it. <laughs> so I'm just hoping that in the next issue we get the Brooklyn Nine Nine scene of Quentin being like, "Thanks, Mom," and Jubilee being like, "You see me as a mother figure." <laughs> No, there's none of that. But there is something else. So I'm going to leave it at that. Okay. okay well, well, I'm super excited. Yes. I, I, ha- I just got to say, I think the only spoiler I'm going to give is this. And it's not even a spoiler. Um, my editor like texted me at one point. He was like, did you see Emil Carr's email? And I was like, what email? And he was like, the one with the thumbs of the very last page. And I was like, no, no, no. And I went and I looked and I like look at my text from my editor and he was like, it made me actually really like it pulled some heartstrings really hard. And I was just like, I looked at it and I was like, oh my God, oh, it's over. 
Oh no. It's really, it's not bad. It's just a very sweet sort of like, like I had a very family moment looking at it where I was like, children. It's like your kids graduating from high school. Yeah. Oh God. Now I'm going to, oh, February is going to be a rough, rough month for Charlie, I think, (laughs) as far as emotions and comics are concerned. (laughs) <laughs> i i'm very pleased with what we did like i'm super sad that it's over and i going back to quentin i'll be very curious to see if anybody runs with what i do with him um because i feel like i if it were me writing quentin next i would be excited as shit because i feel like there's some stuff set up there but oh, oh i'm so excited <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, you know don't get too excited it's it's not anything well you'll see you'll see why why are you putting yourself down like that like no it's the greatest thing that ever happened in the history of xbooks ever (laughs) (laughs) we we can just take that as red i mean so i just want to say like you know you i think that that was kind of a joke but I feel like a lot of, like, we have a lot of, like, Charlie and I call them background mutants. Like, there's mutants that, you know, they'll be in a book and ongoing for quite a while. And then, you know, for whatever reason, that wraps or, you know, there's some event and it doesn't make sense for that to be an ongoing anymore. Um, And then the characters just kind of fall into a void um, until someone, you know, decides to pick them back up. And one thing I really liked in particular about Generation X is you brought you know, another mutant that had kind well, a couple that had kind of had introductions, but didn't really have anything run with them. Um, and that's Lindley and Benji. Like Lindley didn't have really anything. She was in the background. She didn't have any kind of character arc or anything. Yeah. And you bringing her to the foreground and putting her in a book of like misfits, I think was both a perfect and B I was so glad to see that character get to have like a life and get to have a story. Yeah. (laughs) When she was in the background repotting plants, I was like, Oh my God, this is the best thing ever. (laughs) I love her so much. She is actually a character. Like anytime you write a team, there's always going to be a few characters that kind of fall through the cracks. And for me, I, I do. If we had had four more issues like we originally had planned, I think I would have had, I would have had another. Like my next ultimate goal would have been to give her a better arc because I feel like I just started scratching the surface with her. Because mm-hmm. she is a fun character. Like the decision to make her not speak initially, I was like, that is a mistake. You can't have a character like this who never speaks, who is weird and almost out like otherworldly because she doesn't operate the way you would expect a person to operate and then not give her the ability to speak that is just insanity to me so (laughs) like giving her the chance to speak at least we were able to kind of like start to highlight how different she is um i have a storyline that we (laughs) we're never going to get to do that i'm super sad about but like i really wanted to crack more into like how my approach to her was like she is almost an international kid like she just doesn't think the same way everybody else does. It's almost like she's from a different country. Mm-hmm. So her version of customs, like she's doing a combination of kind of like getting to understand people and like getting comfortable with them in a way that she's already comfortable with animals and plants because people like I had this whole thing when I wrote my pitch where it was like her outlook on life was animals listen and animals communicate. Humans communicate. They just don't listen. Mm. Like they don't. You don't care what anybody else is thinking because they're the apex predator. So, like, I just, I wish I could have done more with her. 
She's so <laughs> I'm super sad nobody's like looked at her and been like, first of all, she's a fucking cool design. And two, like, let's give her some massive awesome story because she's crazy. Like, I love her. Yeah. Dude, then what will the rats ask for? It has to happen. I'm going to will it into yeah. existence. Squirrel Girl, Nature Girl team up. When? Yeah. Oh. Because that would be that would be really good. But no, that makes a lot of sense because like I went to uh, science and tech high school in northern Virginia. So we had a lot of kids that, you know, were either, you know, very newly to the country or, you know, just didn't have a lot of friends at their base high schools or, you know, were just kind of like weirdos like me that, you know, we liked all this nerdy stuff, but didn't really know how to talk to people. And, like, one of the biggest things there was, like, if you were into programming, like, you didn't have to, you know, speak or be the most articulate or sociable person. Like, everybody kind of understood computers as a shared language or, like, the drama kids had, like, drama as a shared language. Yes. And I think that's a big part, not only of being a teenager, but, like, of being someone in a place that doesn't fit. Because, like, all of us, even those of us, you know, that were not immigrants or... Um, you know, didn't have English as a second language, like we were all coming to that place from different places. Yeah. So like, I think in a way, that's almost why the X-Men feel so close to home for me is because like, I've lived that experience where everyone is like yeah. in this weird place where we don't know each other. So like that, that was a that's a big deal for me too. And like, I really loved how, you know, you did kind of like, try to find you know, these common threads of like, you know, what would these kids argue about? What would they talk about? Yeah, that was like such a big thing for me because like I have a I have a a weird background um to like English is my first language, but I grew up in Asia. I was 18 when I moved to the States. And so like I thought I understood because I had visited my, my my parents got divorced. So I would come to the States once a year to visit my dad in Louisiana and I like thought I understood I was like, I'm an American. I get it. I grew up on a base, but you know, bases are American. I like totally understand being American. And then I moved to the States and I was like, ah, oh, I don't fucking understand any of this. This is crazy. <laughs> um, and I went through this massive amount of culture shock. So I just was like, this is so weird. But at the same time, like, you know, growing up overseas off base, going to school on base, I was like the white kid in this Korean neighborhood, even though I see myself as hundred percent Asian like I still clearly stood out because my dad's Caucasian. So like I have never in any place fit in accordingly, which is part of my connection to the X-Men and part of the reason that I've always just been like, I love it when they're all weird, yep. but they, they find there's like a common thing with them and it's that they're all outcasts, you yep. know? And that is like a big one for me because I think that like, like you were saying, Ricky, it's right. You find there's this one connective thing that put you guys together even though you're all weird and you make it work you know Mm -hmm. yeah that's you know oh that's that's just so right and then that's like like i've been on a like a not a spiritual journey but i've been like on a journey to like look at my favorite characters and find out like why they're my favorites and like i just like all the weird ones like i just like i just do like shatterstar real weird like I just like I just love all the weird ones and that's Billy Kaplan kind of weird weird kind of weird yeah like those are just characters that I like resonate with and like they end up being weirder than some of the other characters and I think that's like fascinating like what are you when you're the weirdo in a, inside of a bunch of other people that everyone else thinks is weird but in comparison to you not really yeah and that was i mean like picking these kids was so much fun because like i was specifically looking for 
you know, like Quentin, I can say the lovable losers and they're quote unquote the useless ones, but Quentin is obviously super powerful, but he has like so much that holds him back. Mm -hmm. And then you've got like Benji, who realistically, like, let's be real. That dude never should have been combat ready. (laughs) That was we can blame Scott Summers for that one. That was all his doing. But that was what was so great. Like the fact that he had that one issue. That one not the M issue. The M issue, yeah. No, it's so good. Yes. That yes, God, yes. The issue that made me go, I need to have this kid. Because like I get this kid so on such a deep level. And then on top of that, like I was like, he's so good for not just one kid. Like I knew I wanted to have a queer romance for Nathaniel, but I was like, he's not just good for Nathaniel, he's perfect for Quentin. The kid's superpower really is empathy. So Yeah. <laughs> he's amazing. But like a lot of people don't see that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Who are these lots of people? I will have words with them. But yeah, I don't wanna uh, yeah, I don't run with those that kind of yeah. that, that circle. <laughs> and and I'm gonna I'm just gonna also just bring up like another question that I had. Speaking of mutants that people don't necessarily well, I don't guess like quote unquote. Um, any thoughts about like the members of Gen X that actually the original Gen X that actually died? <laughs> like if you could have brought them back, would you have? Yeah, I was thinking about this. It's such a it's such a rough thing because so when Daniel said to me like he wanted to do Gen X, I was like, as in bring back the members? And he was like, Well, you know, and I was like, because here's my problem, and this is this extends beyond Gen X. So I was like, for the kids who are alive. They've been around for so long that even though they're quote unquote teenagers by the Marvel continuity, I don't see them that way. I see them as adults. Yes. So like I specifically wanted, I was like, look, if I want to do a teen book, I want to do a teen book. And on top of that, I can't compete with Scott Scott Lobdell. Like that book was amazing. I don't want to like bring back the original, all of the original characters and have a book about them because like, I feel like we'd be chasing, you know, a thing that doesn't exist anymore. So I never, like, I made it very clear from the get-go that if I did this, I wanted it to be a very different flavor of Generation X. So I didn't want to bring any of the dead kids back just because I didn't want it to be about the OG members. Mm -hmm. But if I were to bring one back, I would have brought Sync back. Yeah. As someone named Everett. Thank you. Thank you so much. I know. I know. I (laughs) (laughs) I, I just, like... I loved him. And then the other thing is, I thought his power, to me, if I had to pick any power, his power is probably one of the most useful. Because holy goddamn shit, it was just like utilized to the the max, you know, potential. So the scene with Hope in Fear Itself, where she just gets all of the Omega powers and then goes after Juggernaut with a Thor's hammer, I was like, Sink could have done that and better. I thought the Every character ever ever made, I was like, Sink is the one where, like, that's your heavy hitter right there. Because if you have somebody who's, like, really, like, this whole fight with Monet, you fucking throw Sink in there and it neutralizes it. It's just, like, he is the ultimate sort of, like, that power is almost too good. <laughs> it's incredible. And I just was like, if I had to, if I, if I brought any of them back, I would bring him back and I would sit down and fucking use his powers and make it almost like a puzzle where it's like, how do you use his powers in a way that are one highlights them as as they should be, and two, like you can really da- bring down a really cool character by using him in a really cool way. So he's the one I would bring back. I 
I oh my god I'm I'm just so like I just need I need you to write more comic but I need you to write more of this (laughs) I'm having a crisis (laughs) oh man oh but well thank you for that answer because I I really like skin like I I think I, I think that he I think that everyone just rags on skin so much and I'm just like what are you guys doing stop it please yeah He's like such a sweet, lovable character, and like I feel like out of all of their deaths, like his is the meanest. Yep. I mean, holy shit! But guys, guys, <sighs> we can see skin because they literally just ripped his entire character for Marcos <laughs> on the Gifted. I don't know if y'all noticed, but he's literally Angelo <laughs> just with a different power. My question is, why didn't they just call him Angelo? Oh my god. What is what made those decisions? I haven't been watching The Gifted, but I know like from Charlie talking to me about it cuz that's what got me back into comics that got me on podcast actually was Charlie reading stuff and watching stuff and talking to me about it. Oh. I I was in comics for a long time and I just had to take a break. Like I was, you know, I had a pull box like 20 comics deep. I just couldn't do it anymore. It needed a break. But um, I know, like, The Gifted has a lot of stuff like that. Like, don't they also have, like, a Richter character, basically? But he's not... No, see, this Marcos fellow, he... I thought, when I saw some things, that he was basically just Richter. But now that you say Angelo, I'm like, why are they squishing all these characters together to make a new one? Why aren't they just using the characters we have? I'm sorry, but the better question is why are all of the Latino characters have such similar backgrounds that they can be conflated? Yeah. There you go. Everett's got it in one. <laughs> yeah. That was a really good question to ask. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, no, it's it's curious because like I actually haven't seen The Gifted either only because I just I haven't had time. Mm. Yeah. I feel that. But I see this and stuff all the time where I'm just like, wait a minute, is that that's not that, wait, who what character is that? Or I'll be like uh, Yep. Oh my god, the cuckoos are showing up. When's Quentin showing up? When's <laughs> Quentin? When's right? Quentin showing up, right? I mean, just maybe don't do the kick. No more mutant drugs. Oh, but they already have right? a kick. They're already oh, doing that. Oh, that's right. That's oh, you're right. They, they have the kick story. I read online, they have the kick storyline, and then they introduced the cuckoos, and I was like, it's just a matter of time before Quentin shows up. And it'll be very interesting to see whether or not they go down that same exact route with Quentin, or if they have plans f- for him in the future so they don't make him a murderer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's also that. So yeah. odds are, so like, I don't know if you've seen Jay Edidin's breakdown of how it's they're basically building the Days of the Future Past universe, but I think it's a fantastic fan theory. And so Ooh. we could, should realistically expect everything to be different, nothing to be like in the comics, because they're building the Rachel Gray sentinelled out universe interesting and we that's so crazy it's dude like we like we should be happy that a show like that is existing but i also just see some like i see i got real mad that marcos wasn't actually richter and i like said i can't watch this right now (laughs) (laughs) i guess that's not like an uncommon thing with like x-men tv stuff because even like the x-men like 2000s animation evolution evolution thank you i the name escaped me for the moment but like there were a lot of characters that were basically other characters in that show that they just called different things 
Oh, the, you mean Avalanche Lance is actually just Richter? Yeah, sorry, I'm I'm not I'm not hanging this one. Yeah, up. well then, then the, also they had they had like a Forge type character, but his name wasn't Forge. That he was like yeah, an in an episode um as like kind of the monster <laughs> of the week, which is also kind of mm, there's a lot there. Um, but then they also like uh created um a character that I wish had made it into comics actually. Aurora's nephew, Spike. Yeah, you him. want you wanted Spike well, to come into comics. I I thought he was. I thought the like okay, he was a little bit like radical dude. I'm on a skateboard. <laughs> um, I'm the cool kid, but basically had Marrow's power. Yeah, I remember being like, why can't you just make him Marrow, guys? We all know that. <laughs> like, you could just call. It's okay to just call him Marrow and just have him have a different yeah. backstory. Like, I thought. I think that would be cool. Dude, where's Marrow? It would be cool. Where's Marrow? Yeah. We need Marrow back. Where is Marrow? She was in X Force. Were- it was fantastic. Where's Marrow? I love Marrow so Actually, much. Actually, you know how Marrow has like the briefest of cameos in the Deadpool movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um. We, the magicians room, went to go see Deadpool together. It was a, it was like a fun thing to do that we all thought like, hey, let's try it. So we went and watched it. And I was like sitting near um, my boss, Sarah Gamble, and she was like, she pointed at Marrow's back the second they like panned by her. She was like, that was awesome. And I was like, that is a character named Marrow. And blah, blah, blah. And I just started telling her. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> I just exposed how much of a nerd I am. Why, why are you revealing your power level to the writer's room? You got to be careful. <laughs> I just was like, if we ever need a monster like Marrow, let me get you some photographs. I will get you some pictures. <laughs> we'll, do this. we'll do this right now. Oh my god, that's how I feel. Like I've had to, um, I've had to cut together like an elevator pitch for Shatterstar when I try and explain him to people. Because I start and then I start going down like another path and I'm like, I gotta simplify this. I need to, I need to be able to explain <laughs> this in like two minutes to somebody. Yeah. I still oh. can't believe that of all the movies that Fox put out with X-Men in them, that Deadpool was the movie that like got the uniforms and like the aesthetic of the X-Men and even like the interaction, the brief interaction they have at the mansion was like more X-Men yes. to me than the entire Brian Singer trilogy, to be honest. I know. I like, I loved it. I love the Deadpool movie for so many reasons, but you were completely right. Like that, that's that hot second there at that X-Mansion. I'm just like, this is the X-Men movie I want. <laughs> yes. The best. And even her like chewing gum and looking at her phone and being like, no, one minute. I just, I really need to do this right now. Like that. That's totally a thing that I could see happening in like Gen X or any other like teen X-Men comic. Like that's what they do. Right. You just uh. go right from like little shits and that's a lot more accurate. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot more accurate to X-Men and also real life. So yeah. it's mind blowing, but I will chug through the rest of these yeah, questions. I was gonna say. Yeah. <laughs> at least at least mine. Um as far as um X-Men stories, mm-hmm. which ones are your favorite, Christina? <laughs> Oh my god, this is the one that I probably had the most difficulty with because it's so I had like a weird gap in um my comic book reading period like when I went to grad school I like stopped reading comics for about two and a half three years because I just needed like a cleanse. So coming back to Gen X I started rereading stuff and I was like, "Oh man, some things are not like I remember and then some things are better than I remember." So it's like a crazy question because I just think about it and I'm like Wolverine and the X-Men, Jason Aaron's run on that 
like had a profound effect on me for generation x because <laughs> i was like oh it was like one of the first things that i read when i like decided to do the book just because i wanted to see what teen x books looked like now mm-hmm. and be reading like i had read a little bit of it before i went on hiatus <laughs> and then i i really read it like coming back and i was like this book is so good jason aaron is so good and then you know rereading new x-men as an older person now like grant morrison is i've always known he was a genius but holy shit um the book is better than i remember and then the real nerd like old school version of me is like age of apocalypse was probably like my in like entry point into marvel comics comics not the cartoon um that was like uh, just i loved it so much and then i would say that uh real old school like like after i got into x-men and i read some random you know books that i could get a hold of because i lived on a military base and i had only access to certain things i would say that rogue uh issue where it's like welcome to the x-men hope you survive the experience like issue of her joining the x-men and everybody fucking hating her like i remember reading that and loving it so yeah there there are my answers there are your answers they're good answers yeah. good. They're, good, they're good answers brett there's good answers no <laughs> um thank you because i i have i struggle with um kind of putting like where my favorites end up being yeah. my favorite favorites always end up just being the stories with my favorite characters in them and it's just like yeah here i'm just going to show you all the all the places my my favorites show up and i guess those are also my favorite even if they're ain't kind of dubious there ain't <laughs> yeah. damn thing wrong yeah. with that yeah no that's how a lot of x readers like read like when we were putting gen x together like wanting to put really like rare kids that had been tossed to the side who i jo- joked were the garbage pail children um like not wrong <laughs> you're not wrong. i know I, like my my editor's biggest fear which i mean has come to fruition he was like people read x books because they love characters and you're picking characters that nobody really loves and i was like uh, let's make them love them and so <laughs> i love fun choir I don't care what anyone well, else thinks. No, we're talking about like we're talking about like the the real background. Oh, yeah, mutants, well, like, like Nature Girl, right? Yeah. Like now there are people yeah, who love Nature, Nature Girl. I mean, I, I love Nature Girl. Like Gray Malkin. Like let's talk about. I love the idea of her, and I'm glad something happened with her because now I love her even more. No, th- that's what you. Sh- that's what the approach should be. Like, here's this character. Let's make people love. I mean, them. like, like that was my, my whole thing was. I was like, look, guys, I am not asking. I was like, most people come into an X book and create a bunch of characters. I don't want to create a bunch of unknown characters. I want to take characters that exist and make us all understand why we should love them more. Like, it's not that different. But like, Quentin being on the team made a huge difference because genuinely, most people like. And the response to Gen X in the beginning was, what the fuck is this team? (laughs) (laughs) Nah. I remember somebody wrote me on Twitter. Somebody actually wrote me on Twitter when it was announced and they were like, what are you doing? They all suck. And I didn't respond to them, but my first thought was, that's the point. No, no, but that's why it's so good because, like you said, like people, like that whole team that was created for Bendis' run on X-Men, like this is not shade to bendis or anything like that but 
like that entire team is gone, not necessarily because of anything Bendis did, but just because like that's what happens. Yeah. Like someone gets the writer gets really invested in those characters and they're there to serve that arc. And then after that, they just kind of disappear because they don't fit into the greater scheme of things anymore. Yeah. And it's really hard as a writer to pick that up and kind of run with it. So the fact that you took all these characters that like needed their own place but never got them and were like, no, their place is here, like honestly. A thousand percent. Thank you so much for doing that, because that is the kind of X book I've wanted for years and never gotten. Like every time I look at an X book, I'm like, where's Surge? Where's Dust? You know, where are all these characters that were great for so long and then they just drop off the face of the earth? And not only did you make this team of like outcasts, but you put those characters like in and showed that they're still at the school, Um, like all the young X-Men and stuff like that. And that was like, I was like, oh, my God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my God. There were so many things that I wanted to do where I was just like, listen, if we're going to populate the school, let's populate the school with real kids and just like. Like somebody on Tumblr picked up the fact that I had Glob and Sprite kind of get into a relationship. And it's like, I'm pretty sure that was yeah. Zach. <laughs> like, save your file, Zach. <laughs> He's exactly <laughs> extremely invested in this background romance between That's- Sprite and Glob Herman. That's the whole thing. I was like, you know, when you populate a school, they are having their own stories. And I want it to make it look like. You may not have the full picture, but I want at least one story where it's like, what the fuck is going on with them? If you look through the books, you like pick up on little things and there's like a whole nother level of storytelling there. Great. Well, and to go back to like what most people know you for and what actually got me into comics, uh, Runaways. Yeah. Like that was the whole premise of that book was we didn't know these characters and they're all like weird or social outcasts or, you know, whatever for some reason. And then they come together and like we learn what all their deals is. So like, you know, I think there's something to that concept. And I think that, you know, that's a very good teen story, like a good coming of age story to have, you know, characters that come together are either forced together by circumstance or you know by a common thread or whatever but that all don't know themselves and they have to like get to know each other and themselves by being on this team or in this group together yes that is the breakfast club formula we all love it when we get it and that's all i want to write i just really want to (laughs) write put in a place where they have to like learn how to get along and that's all i need yeah it's 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 super true um and i um i have no good segue into this next one but christina please tell me about your favorite jubilee story or moment ever oh my god that is like that's another one where it's really tough for me because we talked a little bit about this about this earlier but like Jubilee's so different according to which version of her you're reading slash watching like my entry Mm -hmm. point to her was the tv show um because that was what got me into x-men in the first place so oh god it's tough <laughs> to say i'm sorry for putting down the tv show then in our pre-roll <laughs> no, it's all good because like it's so funny because like having been in the position to have to write somebody like i completely understand how things happen like everybody has their 
view on how stories should be told. And like, like I told you guys, my thought was if I'm going to do Generation X, it can't be Scott Lobdell's version of that because I'm not Scott Lobdell. And on top of that, I like, why fuck with something that's perfect? Um, so like, I get now having been in this position in particular, why people write such wildly different versions of characters. Although I try to adhere to a certain extent, um, characters' voices. So like the show, the TV show was like my first understanding of her. And then like, you know, the, the X-Men mall rat version of her was fantastic. I would say like, it's weird. I would say like, I love Gen X version of Jubilee the most Mm -hmm. personally. Um, I think that's the one that I probably became most, uh, intimate with when I was, when I was a kid. It's so weird, but I also really like, for all the problems with Vampire Jubilee, I love Jubilee with Shogo. So, like, her running around with Wolverine and Shogo is really good, too. So Yeah. yeah. It's hard. No, it is. It's, it's, it's real yeah. hard to nail down. Well, and that was, like, Shogo was a thing where, like, I wasn't sure where they were going with it when he was introduced. Because it was kind of just, like... When he was first introduced, it was like, oh, we have to rescue this weird baby from this, like brown-haired, blue-eyed, you know, kind of messed-up mutant guy. And then it became, like, a way for Jubilee to kind of have somewhere to belong herself in this, like, new place that she found herself in life. So, you know, I thought it was really interesting. Like, I came to love him, even though at first I was like, this is weird. This is just, I don't get it. Charlie, I don't get it. Why is this happening? But... (laughs) It was like, it's so weird when it first happened because, like, I didn't have a kid and I didn't have any aspirations to have kids at the time. But, like, rereading some of her stories with Shogo, like, especially as I was waiting for my adopted child to arrive um, and, you know, to be my kid, it put a totally different perspective for me on the whole thing. I was like, you know, this teen now is a child and she's growing up because of it. And on top of that, she's not the mutant she remo- you know, she was, that she was slowly getting comfortable being and realizing, you know, the extent of her powers. Then they were taken away from her. Then she was made a mutant or then she was made a vampire. And like her whole life was crazy topsy-turvy. And I was like, I weirdly understand this version of Jubilee more than I ever expected to um, on a very deep personal level. So yeah. like, I think that probably some of the stories with her and Jubilee or her and Shogo really got me in a way that I would not have I. I would not have picked as like key Jubilee moments for me five years ago, even. It's so weird. Like, if you would ask me my favorite version of Jubilee like 10 years ago, I probably would have said Gen X, you know, 15 years ago, you probably would have been like, that cartoon, sucker. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's like one of those ever evolving things where she's so, she's so different and she's changed so much in the last few years that it's really hard for me to pinpoint like, the moment that I think that she's the best version of herself. My favorite storyline with Jubilee is the one that I wrote. <laughs> yes. I agree. hundred <laughs> percent. I really like somehow I really ended up loving the, and I know battle of the atom. Some people just don't like that whole thing that happened, but the future X-Men where Jubilee is Wolverine and Shogo yeah. is Sentinel X and Quentin fires the Phoenix and Billy Kaplan is running the X-Men. <laughs> Amazing. It's a really good team, to be honest. Regardless of the actual plot, giant, you know, the for giant panther. Like, come on. Yeah, no, that's very good. The plot kind of lost its legs, I think, but the team and even the moments where 
you know, current Jubilee has to deal with this future version of Shogo. Yeah. Because I think, you know, I'm not I'm not a parent or anything, but, you know, we we think a lot about like kids growing up before our eyes and, you know, that we even even as someone with like a younger brother, like I feel like I looked away for like one second and he went from being like the little kid that, you know, I taught how to love Pokemon to this, you know, man that's almost graduated college. And yeah. You know, it's just kind of like, this is so weird. Like, weren't you, you used to be shorter than me. That wasn't that like two seconds ago. Um, yeah. And I think like her being able to look at Shogo and being like, okay, everything ends up okay. Like I don't end up goofing this up entirely is, is really important too. That is, that is probably, I would say the biggest thing that I have, and I've only been a parent for a while. I haven't been a parent for very long. I'm still so very confused by the whole thing, but like, my biggest number one fear is that I'm going to screw this thing up. <laughs> like this kid is going to come out being like either somebody who is just ill prepared for life in general or like a disaster child. And that's going to be my pro- my fault. So I think that there's like always like the thing with her that m- helped mature her so much for me was just the sheer fact that like there is a, t- a deep terror inside of you that isn't about yourself. It's about somebody else. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to make you a fully functioning person. And if I don't, that is my fault. And that is about me. But more than anything, I just need you. You can hate me. You can do whatever. I need you to be able to take care of yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's like something you don't have control over. Like you think you do, but like at the same time, you don't. Yes. A combo platter. I think it's important too. like, I know um, I've, I've mentioned this before, but it seems like in a lot of Kate books, the adults aren't really allowed to mature like it you they they have storylines sure and interpersonal drama but most of it centers around like some earth-shattering event or just who's dating who or like oh my you know ex was thrown into you know space or a black hole like that's kind of <laughs> weird huh but like x-men books the adults you know like they started out as kids most of them in fact all of them almost started out as kids in comics so we've gotten to see them grow up in some way shape or form and they still don't know themselves and they're still changing like that's why i think like the idea of secondary mutations and losing your mutant powers and stuff like that is so powerful because not only is it a character development technique but like you don't magically figure things out when you're 20 like you don't even magically know yourself when you're 25 or 30 like you humans are constantly changing like as much as we want to believe that there's this concept of being an adult i'm sorry to anyone that's not an adult that's listening to this it does i don't want to say that it doesn't magically get better things definitely change and get better but it does it's not like some automatic like okay i've hit 18 and my life is a road that's laid out in front of me and everything is perfect from here on out like that's not life it's not i think the only thing is that you have you're better equipped to like you have your driver's license now good luck don't get in a wreck yeah yeah yeah, (laughs) or like the life experience like yeah and i for all of for all of the issues that people have with massive changes that happen with mutants they're important like I, my personal issues aside with the vampire decision that was made, the good thing that came out of it was that it was a massive change she had to deal with. Yeah. Not everybody agrees that Shogo is great. I I mean, obviously I have my skewed view on that, but like 
it's a massive change that really happens to people. Like all of the things that you do to these characters after a while, it can't be, it's just like you said, it can't be just that I don't know myself. It needs to be, I've been thrown a massive fork in my road and I don't know how to deal with the one I'm going down. You know, it's gotta be something that changes their perspective of themselves to a certain extent to help them understand who they are now as to who they were before that thing happened. And it's necessary because like the hardest thing about writing an ex an ex character is especially one that's steeped in years and years and years and years of continuity is to like figure out what your take on them is and what your arc on them is going to be. It's difficult. Christina, I want you to write Richter and Chatterstar. <laughs> I knew you were going to say sorry. that. I knew it was going to come at some point. I'm sorry. Like, it's a, it's, it's coming from deep inside of me. <laughs> like, I just need someone with your perspective to, like, get a hold of them and, like, do the damn thing when it's <laughs> to be done. Oh, well, man. We'll see. I mean, we'll see what's happening with them. Like, you know. We will. We will see. And it's going to like pain me extremely a lot no matter what way it turns out you're gonna be feeling a way about it (laughs) yeah i i am all i wish is that everybody always says real relationships need to be rough and rocky right well if we don't see a lot of queer relationships and all we ever see is things being rough and rocky that's bad like that's that's not good like Nobody can tell me that they didn't have like an extremely bad time in Peter David's X Factor. Like you can't tell, look at their relationship and be like, "Hey, everything was okay. They love each other." I'm like, "No, I want I don't yeah. want that." <laughs> and I think too, like it's it's tough especially when we have like to be honest, like Richter and Shatterstar are one of the like longest running gay relationships in comics mm-hmm. or you know like maybe they haven't been together the entire time officially but they've definitely been you know very close in ambiance if not in text mm-hmm. but a lot of the you know shorter lived romances that we see like yeah they get broken up and stuff but we never get to see like just a steady like queer relationship that's okay like i i just want <laughs> I think what I would want out of, um, you know, any queer characters that are in a relationship for, you know, a long amount of time is drama that isn't shaking up the relationship, but still affecting those characters. Like, yeah, it's you can have issues that don't break you up or, you know, otherwise jeopardize the relationship. And I think that's really important because it's not it's not healthy to see you know, these characters get broken up all the time. Like, even in, you know, a run that a lot of people really like, Kieran Gillen's run on Young Avengers, like, he broke up Billy and Teddy in that, which would be fine if it wasn't, like, just to put them back together later. Like, there's never any, like, this is rough and it's going to be difficult for both of us, but we are going to get through this together. Which is like, yeah, how I feel like a lot of relationships in real life work. Like, that's what a good relationship is. And I feel like it's important, especially like to queer youth or, you know, people that are just coming out and like aren't sure what their life is going to look like to have stuff like that. So that's also why I'm glad uh, the way that you handled Benji and um, Nathaniel's relationship, too, is like we need more of that. So it's it's so interesting because I am not new to queer romances. This is like a very near and dear to my heart um, subject matter. I find it really interesting because 
there are parallels to you know straight romances when you when it comes to drama it's people always want characters to get together and when they get together then it's like quote unquote boring yep. and my whole thought has always been like especially with queer characters what ends up happening is you have these fraught coming out stories where they have to like overcome you know they're what quote unquote makes them different and then like they get together and then it's like well where's the drama there and I'm like, that's my issue. That was the whole reason I didn't want to do a storyline with two queer characters that involved either of them coming out. Yeah, it's the queer struggle, quote unquote. Exactly. I didn't want to focus on the queer struggle. Now, in terms of once you get a character together, if Gen X had gone on for a while, I'm not going to lie. I had plenty of relationship roadblocks for Benjamin and Nathaniel. Like, I think it's very clear from the last issue that it's not going to end poorly for them. It's going to end, pre- pre- you know, pretty well. Um I already immediately, part of the thing that I find so fascinating about um, Nathaniel's power and part of the reason I regret creating him for Marvel and not for myself so that I could keep exploring this is that it's all about intimacy. And part of the inspiration behind that is I wanted to write a relationship that dealt with intimacy issues. And if we had continued, like I immediately was like, what does sex for them look like? Like, granted, it's a Marvel book and the odds of writing sex in a Marvel book are very low. But what is sex for you know, a couple where one person can see and feel everything look like initially, maybe that's great. Like he knows totally like Nathaniel knows totally what Benjamin wants. But then the second that Benjamin realizes, like, what if he finds out what I don't like? How is he going to take that? There's so much there. There is. Like you were saying that you can write, there's massive like relationship roadblocks that you can, you can tackle. And I find that like the thing that people tend to forget is that, yes, everybody loves the buildup to a relationship. And then the next thing is like, well, you got to break them up now because like, where's the drama and them being together and happy? And I'm like, the, the drama is what is the thing they have to overcome together? Like, be creative about what it is that you need to have them solve together. It can either be an external force that's like a bad guy, or maybe they have something in between them that they need to overcome together. And then you can continue the relationship from yeah. there on. So like... I am like a thousand percent in agreement with you because like I find that if you break a couple up, you get one. You get one. If you have couples break up more than once and get back together, it drives me up the goddamn wall because in real life, I would immediately tell that couple like, maybe you guys shouldn't be yeah. together. Yeah. Like, you're up like more times to get back together. This is probably not a good sign. If it's someone that's like serially doing that, it's like maybe you yeah. you need to take a deep look inside yourself and <laughs> like seriously think about, yes. you know, like what you want out of life, because maybe you don't know. Yeah. And like, exactly. and here's my and here's and here's my pitch. Like, like Richard was pretty depressed in X Factor. Shatterstar coming back didn't fix that. Yeah, It just made it easier to deal with. So how about for a change, we get a story about like this depressed like latino queer mutant and his boyfriend trying to get through those things together yeah yeah like where's that story that is a good story because that is a story that makes it difficult for couples like it's something that you're working against but not necessarily in the same way like that's that's always been one of my big things because i love writing relationships more than anything else and i have just i see tropes which aren't always bad but like almost crutch-like in some Mm. relationships when they're written and it drives me up the wall because i just i'm like isn't there a more creative way to deal with this like i just have my very deep-seated feelings on writing romance (laughs) thank you for thank you for that um and oh my god i've I've tangented enough i'm sorry i keep going back to this (laughs) place i just i just want to 
one thing like it's I, so I'm not a writer, you know, I'm not like a comic writer or anything, but I am a GM. When I was taking my comic cleanse, that's what I got into was tabletop role playing because mm-hmm. I'd never had a chance to do that before. And so in the campaign that I have with Charlie, actually, we have two player characters that are in a relationship together now. And it's so funny that like in comics and a lot of other stuff, like people's first inclination is to break that up. Whereas like yeah. where I'm from and like all the GM advice, um, shout out to Adam Coble, who if you do role playing games, gives great GM advice that also happens to be a lot like relationship advice. Yeah. But one of his greatest things is like, PCs being in a relationship is one of the best things that you can have because then you have two people that aren't the same person and they have this bond, but then, you know, they have to deal with that bond through every conflict that comes up. So it's like, it makes it easier to set them against each other. And, you know, they have to choose, do I want to make this other person happy or do I want to do the thing for me? And I wish like more writers had that approach, like two characters in a relationship is one of the best things that can happen to your story because you get to have them respond to a conflict differently and have to make a compromise about how they're going to move forward with it. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing that I think that like everybody loves that build up to the relationship, but then they never take a second to ask themselves, you know, Ooh, what's going to make this even more fascinating now that they're like the conflict isn't are they going to get together it's more along the lines of like what extents do they need to go to to stay Mm, together yeah you know it's like yeah how do we overcome this thing together like how do we do this (laughs) as one even though we're not like you said we're two different people with two different approaches to things how are we going to keep it chill (laughs) like yeah exactly how like how do we how do we move forward from from this point how do we move forward from this point (laughs) with more questions (laughs) Okay, so we did have a lot of Twitter questions. A lot. And are you okay with like doing some of these rapid fire, Christina? I don't yeah. want to keep you for longer than we need to, but this has been an awesome discussion and I love it to death. <laughs> um, so I will go to our Twitter questions now. Um, so I don't know if you looked at any of these, <laughs> um, but I, I had, um, we had a lot of people like just give us some things. So um, my friend um, at Casey Crook, Casey on uh, Twitter asked, what dinosaur would you most want to be to want to have as a pet? I mean, this one's easy, old lace. <laughs> yeah, I, I, figured, I figured. Good answer. Absolutely. Or the answer to the question. I want I the dog dinosaur, old lace. Old lace, yes. <laughs> Mikey, do you want to take the yeah. next one? Um, so Xavier Files on Twitter. Well, I don't know if I want to do this one. <laughs> okay, fine. Well, yeah, I'll yeah. ask you this okay. question because Christina <laughs> read it. Um, Zach at Xavier Files on Twitter asks, do you feel like you can write sad teens at a level equivalent to or greater than Scott Lobdell? My answer is no, because no one can write sad teens at a level equal or greater than Scott Lobdell. No one. <laughs> I figured that was going to be your answer after listening to, <laughs> listening to some of the yeah, that's, that's why I didn't want to ask it. <laughs> sad teen he will be a sad teen for the rest of his life that's just that's that's the thing that he's that's his uh whole thing he's got going going i will ask perilous siege at perilous siege on twitter asks how would you pick a pitch a generation x runaways team up and who would be crossover bffs 
Oh my God, this one's a hard one for me. It's so funny. I saw this question and I was like, oh, I almost dread answering it because my immediate response, the runaways colorist version of me is like, I wouldn't because the runaways should stay their own thing. Mm. (laughs) And then like the Generation X version of me is just like, I would pitch it like this. They would find the runaways like in a broken down version of the leapfrog and then they would have to help them, blah, 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 blah. And I I was like, oh God. (laughs) Which version of the runaways would it be? Past runaways or like current runaways? runaways well that, that's the other thing that makes it tough because i would definitely do past runaways because that's the runaways i know mm-hmm. best but that runaways doesn't exist anymore <laughs> you see why this question is well, really complicated <laughs> I, I mean they are time like they do have the the time travel device so you know but there's also the possibility that you separate them like you pull molly out actually true story i haven't told many people this there was a version of Generation X that was very close to having Molly on the team. Oh, oh man. Um, because nobody had done anything with Molly. And the funny thing is, had I done that, Runaways would be a very different book right now. Because um, Gen X happened before Runaways. So then Runaways would potentially not have Molly in it for a while. But um, so I almost put Molly in because Molly has always had somewhat of an interest in the X-Men. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes and no, like Wolverine d- disappointed her and then ultimately like made her happy and like he was a good semi-hot second parent figure for her. But I really would probably, if I were to genuinely do a pitch, I would probably do a pitch not involving all of them, but just involving Molly. Because I think that out of all of them, Molly would have the best time. And by the best time, I mean... Like the rest of them would be like, yeah, see you guys. I got to bounce. And then Molly would be like, I got to bounce, but let me help you first. (laughs) No, that would have been awesome. Like I love, I love hearing about these like things that almost happened, but didn't happen. Comic pitches because it ends up changing like the fabric of the landscape of comics that we have right now. It it would have been a very different book. Um, I think that it would have been. And part of the reason that I decided not to do it was internally i was like if i put molly on this book i'm gonna make it about molly and i can't do that um because i love her so she was like my favorite runaways so i was like i can't do that because i think that what i would end up doing is not really writing the book that i set out to write (laughs) that's okay somewhere somewhere out there in an alternate universe there is a generation x annual with molly spending like a day like doing like a one class at the xavier or at um the jean gray school no it's the it's the it's the xavier i keep getting it mixed up we've renamed these things this is what you get when you go out of comics for two years you get all turned upside down (laughs) we went back everything i feel like everything in the x-men right now is going back to resetting what we had so yeah Uh. well the x-men were in a real bad way for a while so i don't necessarily mind it Um, well, um, I would ask about Jubilee, um, bringing Jubilee back, um, from (laughs) M day, but I think we all know, we all know that that was basically the, 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 the thing from the beginning, correct? The thing that the only discussion that was slightly up in the air was whether or not she was going to be a repowered mutant or repowered, or repowered vampire mutant. And I opted, I was like, it's a lot. I'm telling you, day daywalker jubilee. It could, I mean, it, it it could have been. There's an alternate version of Generation X where that's what the outcome was. <laughs> so good. See, we're repurposing things all of the time. Um, but I will ask this next question from M. Keb 
1984 on Twitter asks, um, can you give us any ideas that you wanted to use, but you couldn't because of time constraints? Oh my God, I got so many. Let's start. <laughs> <laughs> Please give us all of them. <laughs> so it's funny. The, um, the stuff with Monet being M plate was lined up in a specific way, obviously to line up with legacy. Yeah. Um, I had actually pitched for it to happen earlier because I wanted back when we thought it was going to be 16 issues long. I wanted to do a story with Monet and Quentin. Oh my God. That would have been. Mm. Yeah. The whole thing, the whole thing with the current Gen X team is I was very aware that I was kind of picking kids and like looking at them through the lens of like, who do you remind me of from the OGX team or OG Gen X team? And I feel like Quentin and Monet both have a, Monet is amazing. She's not perfect. I think that her biggest fault is that she's not, is humility. Mm. It's yeah. part of the reason her brother was able to take, you know, take over. Um, and I think Quentin has a major issue with uh, humility. So I had this storyline where the end of this version of Gen X, or the, this Gen X is going to be Quentin. Quentin became a villain, but not a villain. It was more like his id took over because he wasn't keeping shit in check and wasn't able to admit what he really wanted that like his id went bad and um it's it's a long story but monet was going to be tied to that and quentin wasn't going to be like a massive villain and kill anybody but it was just going to be more along the lines of like he refused to admit that you know he cared about people to a certain extent that it like got the better of him so that never happened. And I'm actually kind of glad the Quentin storyline didn't happen. I'm mostly sad that the Monet and Quentin getting closer portion didn't happen um, because I just wanted her to be his mentor. And then I had, I mentioned earlier, the Benjamin and Nathaniel relationship issues. I'm sad we never got to go into those because I think that like Nathaniel's power set like he as a kid understands on a fundamental level how much they screw up. Like knowing the guy, like, now that you guys know his past, his boyfriend was the person he talked to about his, you know, his mom abusing him. And then he realizes that his boyfriend has this massive crush on a friend of theirs. And like, how do you reconcile with that? Like your boyfriend hasn't done anything, but you know how much his heart like stops when he sees another person. Like, how do you deal with those feelings? So Nathaniel chose to break up with him. And that is like, I feel like just the tip of an iceberg of massive problems for this poor kid and his powers. Oh, yeah. I wanted to go to that into that with Benjamin because Benjamin has so little, like he's so scared of his own shadow that like you could easily have an, a, him in a position where like the second he starts to really think about the fact that he's with a guy who knows everything he's thinking and you know more about his past. Because Benjamin in this version, like right now doesn't know um, Nathaniel's past because Nathaniel hasn't opened up to him about that yet. So like, the more you hear and the more you learn, like Benjamin's the kid who second guesses everything. So the second he finds out all this stuff, he's just like, oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? Like, I can't control who I have a crush on. What if I see a guy and I think he's hot and he like knows this and he's going to be disappointed in me? He's mad at me. Like, there's so much there that I could have gone into that I never got to go into that I was just like, like my head's on the floor and I'm just so sad because their relationship is so much fun to write. And then the last story that I'm so mad I don't get it to go into that just breaks my heart. And I didn't come up with it until I was writing issue 86. So when Lynn says she made a deal with the rats. Yes. What happened with the rats? <laughs> You're never going to know. But oh, no, no. The storyline I wanted to do that immediately came to me when I wrote that line was 
I should have had her agree to marry the Rat King, and then Trevor has to go disrupt oh the wedding. Oh my god! Oh my god! That's so good. <laughs> my heart on so many levels. So, had we had a few more issues, because the whole plan was originally sixteen, and then we were going to resolve the Monet stuff, I think, a little bit earlier, and then we were going to do the Quentin storyline, and then in between all that stuff, you know, we were going to have a few more things, and I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do another one shot involving. Um, Nathaniel or not Trevor and Lynn and um I just hadn't figured out what it was and then I found out I found out like really early in the run like part of the reason that I don't have this whole Quentin thing like I can't tell you too many details about like the Quentin Monet ideas that I had is because I found out like way early on that we were going to only get 12 issues so like I stopped thinking about that stuff but I had like I had this document like where I had all these potential storylines like out like listed and I just like knew I wanted to do I knew I was going to do issue five with iBoy, it being a one shot. And then I knew I wanted to come back and make it more Lynn. And iBoy was like the, the go along on that one. So I'm super sad that I never got to do Lynn preparing to marry the Rat King. It's okay. I'm going to use my piece of the Phoenix shard and I'm going to, um, make, <laughs> I'm going to make generation X as long well, as I possibly can. Even though we won't get that. I will ask uh, this question that comes to us from Slick Nick Shady, mm-hmm. uh, which is, will Nature Girl and Trevor have any big moments in the finale? And where would you like to hope to see Trevor long term? Nature Girl and Trevor have one really cute scene at the end in the finale. They talk a little bit about what the rat deal is, but I don't go into detail because like, I'm never going to get to tell that story, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Uh, and I would love to see the other story that I never got to do with Trevor that really makes me super sad that I wanted to go into is, um, oh, and I should have mentioned this in the previous question. I, so he has a secondary mutation and we don't go fully into it, but every one of his fears that people think would, would suspect that he'd be like, be creepy, creepy with them. I wanted to do a story where it gets out that he has a secondary mutation and that exact thing happens where everybody's like, you're looking at me. Why are you looking at me? Are you looking at me because you're trying to see me naked? What is happening right now? <laughs> and so I wanted to do that where like, you know, Travis's kid with this, it is a very, that's like a hefty secondary mutation to have. So I wanted to go into that. And unfortunately we don't get to. So say la vie. Maybe, maybe yeah. someday someone will pick up this great I work. May, I'm holding, I'm my candle. I'm light. My candle's eternal. My flame is eternal for this. So um, that's how I feel about it. I should just do a podcast called If Gen X Had Continued, <laughs> these are the stories that we I can get I can get you a cast together. I can I can cast Quentin. I can I can we can do this. Let me tell you, this is a niche pro- niche product that I would absolutely create. <laughs> oh my god. Um some of these questions um you actually we already yeah. touched on. Like um about Monet. I know you talked about Quentin and the more that you when you said that and the more I thought about it, that is a that is a perfect analog for Quentin. Yeah. Like those two absolutely um and i actually think um the only one i do want to ask because i think people were maybe expecting it um were there any plans to collaborate with uh chris piccolo like on covers or any type of art for this new gen x oh no he's like my white whale he's probably my since i was a kid my favorite penciler and he's like the one guy i didn't get to color when i was a colorist and then he started coloring himself and i was just like (gasps) So he's my white whale. Okay. <laughs> no, there wasn't. Chris is like this magical creature who has no ideas what's going on in comics. And like, 
does his thing. <laughs> I mean, that's what we should. We that, that's what we should all be doing, right? right? Yeah, I don't think he even knows that Gen X is back. Like, oh I think. Oh wow! I think he's just like I do my stuff and I like like drawing. <laughs> a good way to be to be honest yeah no it's kind i kind of admire that because i would get so much more done then <laughs> he's living the dream but let's just yeah. be honest um and uh i know everett you had a question that you will use that to wrap up here um what, your question for christina yes um so what i wanted to ask is something that um because of read interviews from you, listen to podcasts. And I just really want to know, like, are you going to stay in comics? Because a lot of female comic writers, especially female uh, writers of color in comics, they move on to TV and movies and they don't stick around. Yeah. Um, that's something I've seen a lot of, especially out of like the few black women who have worked for Marvel and DC almost entirely have all gone off to tv and i know you started on tv with your writing so yeah like are you going to stick around and then my second question there the second part of that question is if you're sticking around if you're going to be doing more comics it, are you at the spandex fatigue point yet or are we going to get another hit well okay so i don't think i'll ever a thousand percent leave comics it's just going to be i'm not going to be pro about it um because the the thing i'm doing currently i don't have any plans to write for marvel um right now i have to to satisfy my own needs i am currently trying to figure out a pilot that i want to write so i need to do some tv stuff this year but then the other thing that i am currently in the process of doing is um i have two pencilers i'm talking to about potentially doing a creator owned and trying to kind of work out what that will look like because ultimately i i don't have spandex fatigue right now although i will say this if i were to continue writing for marvel i really don't think i'd have any interest in writing outside the x office because i just love the x-men um they are my they are my superhero jam but my problem and i knew this on an intellectual level but i didn't feel this until i did gen x i just it's really difficult for me to write characters and then not have the option to continue writing them Mm. you know what i mean like yeah it it pains me so deeply that benjamin and nathaniel are something that i probably will never get to write again because i don't feel like i'm done with them and if i do a creator owned granted you know a book can get canceled but like i always have the option of potentially trying to revive it or do it somewhere else if i want to if i feel that deeply invested in it like i just don't have those options with marvel and that is that is deeply painful for me because I started in web comics. So like being able to choose how I do things when I do things and with who and how long and all that was something that I got and that I didn't have with, you know, going to Marvel. So I wouldn't say that I would never, I just, I think that like, Right now, I feel the deep-seated need to have control over my characters. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> like, you know, I just, like, there's some people that, like, there's so many things I really regret. I, like, I wish Quentin, Benjamin, and Nathaniel were characters in another book that I could just keep writing because the three of them speak to me so deeply. <laughs> their their dynamic is amazing. Yeah. Like this. Their dynamic 
Oh, yeah. I love them so much. And on top of that, like, because Nathaniel and Quentin are pretty similar, but they mean two totally different things to Benjamin. And there are just so many interesting things about that to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like, like losing Gen X was, was emotionally wrenching for me. And I think that like, I need to do something for me where if it ends, I feel like it ends like, I feel like Gen X ended well, and I'm very proud of what we did, mm-hmm. but I felt like it en- ended sooner than yeah. it could. Well, I think I think you are, everybody else feels that way too, so. I think it's important too, like, to have a balance in what you do. Yeah. Like, you know, you've gotten to do this thing now, which is great, but, you know, like, that's over and you know, sometimes it's it's good to have a palate cleanser, like in all things. So yeah, it, it really is. Because I think the other thing is like, look, I'm not going to say other writers don't put themselves into their book, because that's, that's completely untrue. All writers do. But I think that like, I put so much of me, like I set out to write an X book that spoke on a fundamental level to me and my um, editor. And because I did so much of that, it was draining on a level that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. And I don't know that everybody who writes for Marvel, I think they probably have a better understanding of, girl, this is a work for hire. Why are you doing that? And I'm like, because my heart, you know? So. But that's the thing, right? You can, yeah. te- you can tell when someone's phoning it in. Like, you can, <laughs> you can tell when someone's phoning it in. And it, ne- and it never felt like this. It, like, it never felt like that. There's definitely a certain person who works for the ex office who you can really tell when there's themselves in the writing and in the work and then you look at their creator own stuff and you're like but this is all super experimental and amazing and like mind warpingly cool stuff why am i not getting this in my ex book and it's just you're not rewarded in the same way to bring that shard of your soul into the work that i think made generation x truly feel alive in a way that I haven't felt X books like breathe and be meaningful and emotional and impactful oh, thank you. in with that spark of soul in it in so long. I mean, like, but I get why that happens. I totally get why that happens because you pour yourself into one of these books and then you realize like, I am doing this and I have no control over it. It's like a one-sided relationship almost, you know? Yeah. It's like, these are, you go into it understanding these are not your characters. And especially for me, I was like, you know, I'm picking up where other people left off and I'm trying really hard to incorporate, uh, you know, like, I think the thing I'm most proud of with Gen X was I worked so hard to make sure I tried to pick up story threads that I saw being left off, or I at least honored, you know, things that I noticed in books, because I wanted it to be very clear that I was paying attention. But then you put so much of yourself into a book and you, you genuinely fall in love with these characters, which is a dangerous gamble to make because they're not yours. Even the one I created, like I knew Nathaniel wasn't going to be mine. I knew that I was going to leave Nathaniel. And, and it's tough because I don't know if I'll ever see him again. I don't know if the next person who writes him is going to put the kind of care or effort into it that I did. That's so scary. It is. It's like, it is... You're basically putting your kids out there to adopt and you don't know who's adopting them. So it's a very difficult thing to pour as much of yourself into a Marvel or a DC book because you don't, you know, like it's not really yours, you know, it's somebody else's 
and you're just playing in their sandbox and you can make this gorgeous castle, but then midway through it, it might get bulldozered over and you don't, you can't say anything about it, you know? Midway through it, original sins. (laughs) (laughs) And like, not only that, I was going to say, I think there's like multiple writers where that's the case. Not only I've certainly seen it with, you know, big two versus creator owned, but even like within their work for like the big two, you can tell like it wasn't my jam personally, but like Jonathan Hickman wrote this book called Shield. I called that. Oh, that's right. You did. Yeah. God, fuck. Yeah. Shield's so amazing. For those that don't know, it's Leonardo, steampunk Leonardo da Vinci and like this weird like future Illuminati story. What was it like? Howard Stark and Nathaniel Richards time traveling into the future to fight Nikola Tesla at the end of time and apocalypse is there. (laughs) Galactus like ate like Florence. It it was wild. It's such a weird book. It's weird, but you can tell, like, that's exactly what he wanted to do. So good. And, like, I, A, A, I don't know how that book, like, actually got made, but it's a blessing that it did. Like, even if it's not a thousand percent my thing, just that it's so weird and it is a book that I own. And B, like, okay, Nick Lowe, that editor is the reason that book got made. Okay. Oh, and he was, and he was, he was an ex editor for a while, yeah? was he was he and uh yeah he and daniel were like i for towards the end of my coloring career i did not leave the x office because like those guys took care of me <laughs> like yeah no nicolo is an he's he's currently uh he's the editor on runaways right now because he was the last editor on runaways when it came to an end okay. he's a good guy he's great I, got, I always got those vibes but like it's and it's also like it's it's funny you say don't you know it's hard to pour yourself into like yeah. a, a, these characters and then you know know that they're not yours and that's that's a fan that's a fan problem right like you also like pour yourself into these characters and at the end of the day they're not yours so they keep on going without you even if you personally like are invested in them so yeah. no that's that's super really that's like super relatable but also on a fundamentally scary level especially having to cre- having created a character and then knowing like what if you just go away like yeah that's yeah, yeah that's 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 messed up <laughs> like you guys you guys are i i understand think of it this way benjamin and nathaniel are possibly going to appear in books not together <sighs> and that is a weird yeah. thought for me it's entirely possible that like they might not get pecked, picked up as a pair one of them may get picked up benjamin might get picked up and go off without nathaniel and the whole thing is like nathaniel may disappear into obscurity and nobody will ever see know this is why again. i can't like breed dogs or cats because <laughs> like it'd be like yeah. these two they're brothers and they're very good friends oh no you're adopting them separately yeah like no that's like and that's that's all that's that's my plague right now with like other like like okay this is what i need i need a 2019 i need a richter and shatterstar miniseries written by you also starring nathaniel and benji oh i still to this day i've said it online and i'll say it again if marvel ever asks me to write in it like 100 percent queer team i'm fucking there like give me Give me the rainbow X-Men and I'm on it. Like, what you mean all of the X-Men? <laughs> no, just, just, you mean it literally has all of the X-Men in it. Cause you know, 
every X-Men's a little queer. Yes. Let's have a book with without Chris Claremont writing her where Kitty is actually queer. But Chris would... was the one who wanted Kitty to be queer. Let's don't let's not get, where, let's not get uh, that twisted. Yeah, but... Where's the Kitty Ileana Rachel love triangle? We've needed the Kitty Ileana Rachel love triangle uh, forever. Breaking up Peter and Kitty's wedding, that's where it is. Right. Yes. That's how oh that's how God. she Well, I don't know that I want her to like bounce back to that because that's also a thing of like, oh, you know, I'm done with men. Let's try something else. Like, and I hate that trope because it's the worst. But yeah. I would love to see, like, because I'll be honest, like, other, you know, like, Chris Claremont got to write her again in Mechanics, but since then, like, that's been the elephant in the room, or, like, not even in the room, like, in the next, you know, zip code. Yeah. And I would like to see it in in some form, like, it even at least acknowledged, because, you know, regardless of how you feel about it, that is, like, Chris Claremont, in a lot of ways, was, you know, kind of shaped how kitty is today and that's like the one element that people ignore uh but to to get back to uh your next creator own project christina <laughs> like yeah. i want you to know that i will buy it absolutely i will be there oh thank you uh no matter no matter where it is no matter what platform it is on i'm i'm here to support this because you gave me such an amazing run on generation x and it means so much to me and I just hope that there's more capes in the future because I also just, you know, I think you you have such a wonderful flair for the people with powers, not super heroic icons being ciphers. Well, if it makes you feel better, the one of the things that I'm working on is kind of a teen, not, I don't like to call it superheroes because there are no superheroics, but teens with powers thing. I'm, I'm there. We're here. I love that myself. Like, Misfits is probably my favorite television show ever. Yeah. Yes! That's always been one that's been on my to-watch list, but I've never quite gotten there. But I hear it's very good. Christina, you could you could tell me that I, the only way I could get your um, your work would be through, like, VHS tapes that I'd have to buy <laughs> on the internet somewhere, and I would do it. <laughs> I feel like if I did that, I would suddenly become super famous for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> 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 like comic book on VHS. What's more artisanal hipster than that? <laughs> oh. I mean, people are buying like the Super NES that Nintendo just put out with like 10 games yeah. or whatever. So, you know, maybe there's a market out there for artisanal comic products that are like on, on a VHS laser disc. And for the extra hardcore Betamax. <laughs> oh, oh yes. Betamax comics. I'd be there for it. Yeah, it's just like a PowerPoint presentation that you watch on a <laughs> Oh, uh, now we gotta get a Kickstarter. Oh man! Yeah. <laughs> put it on. I'll put, I'll put that next on my next thing to do list. Um, but oh my god, Christina, thank you so much. This has been like really, really great and awesome and fun and long. But I don't regret any bit of it. <laughs> thank you guys for having me. This was really, really fun. Um, and it was really cool talking to you guys. And thank you guys so much. You have been so good about tweeting your love for gen x it has really warmed my heart i'm so glad that you guys have enjoyed it and you've read it and uh, yeah i just i love the book um and i'm glad to know that other people do too yeah um as we wrap up here we'll do our, our wrap up um where can people find you christina on the internet or other places or anywhere you want to share 
mostly on Twitter, Christina Strain, one word. Um, and then I also am on Tumblr, but mostly lurking. I post a little bit on Tumblr, but mostly I have like a secret Tumblr where I just... That's the best way to be. Like, yeah, it. honestly. Exactly. Exactly. So that is where you can find me. Um, the Twitter is usually where I'm like, ma, 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 ma. what up, guys? <laughs> yeah, honestly, you um, tweeting about um, the the rainbows in Runaways is like what got me to actually watch that show because I was excited for it. But then when I saw like how excited you were for it, like I was like, OK, no, now I got to watch this because like like I said before and before we started rolling, like Runaways is really like my introduction into comics and like. I don't know something about those rainbows just spoke to me on a like deep emotional level so yeah it's crazy because it's like one of those things where you're looking at it and you're like oh my god there is a vfx budget for something i did in photoshop when i was 22 (laughs) (laughs) crazy that's gonna be a crazy feeling it is such a crazy feeling and it's like it's just i don't know it's very awesome and rewarding to see the kid like that show clearly loves those kids so much they cared about that book in a way that i haven't seen other translations do like don't get me wrong like everybody who adapts something loves it because like what's the point otherwise but like there is like a care and a fundamental understanding of those kids that i'm just like I'm back in that place. I I think that's the other side. I know we were talking about like not owning stuff, but like that's the other side of superhero comics, I think, too, is like that you, you know, you don't own those characters and you're only with them for a short time, whether you're a reader or, you know, you're responsible for writing them. But at the same time, like you get those cool opportunities to see them on the big screen or the small screen. And that's that's also really, really gratifying. It is. It is. And like everybody's going to have different opinions about stuff. But like when you feel when you individual person see something adapted and you feel like they get it right there, it's just so tremendously rewarding. And like for me, that that show, like I remember being in the theater, they had invited everybody who worked on it. So like Craig and I were sitting next to each other and Brian was a few rows behind us. And Brian had already seen it because Brian, you know, had been partially involved, like on a mm-hmm. he'd been in the room for a while and everything. But Craig and I were like, oh my God, it's our babies. (laughs) Look, they're on a screen, they're people. (laughs) Oh my God, like super surreal. I'm 100% certain. Yeah, it was so good. Yeah. Started to reel it. I just had to bring that up. <laughs> um, and Everett, uh, where besides writing our awesome articles, where can people find you? Uh, at Zoo Renaissance uh, at Twitter. That's Z H U R E N A I S S A N C E. And that's pretty much where you're gonna find me on the internet. I have a Tumblr, but I've stopped using it. <laughs> as well as probably think something that's happening um <laughs> thank you um you can find us at young ones cast on twitter where you can um talk to us like our things find our show schedule everything that's there um and other than that also young which just redirects to our tumblr but where you can find everett's articles every tuesday usually and um you can find me at genetic ghost on twitter where i yell about comic books all the time yeah how about you mikey you can find me on twitter at quantum dot dot where i yell about comics uh game development and tabletop role-playing game design and playing 
I know I sent Charlie and some of my other friends into a tizzy yesterday by talking about possibilities. I put up a to-do list and then I get like 10 messages at once like, you're going to kill us. And I'm <laughs> so <laughs> we're all going to die. It's okay. I made an orc that un unintentionally in our D&D game that's actually Billy Kaplan, but I didn't realize it until like two sessions ago. So I, I realized right. it and then I was like waiting for the other shoe to drop with Charlie. That was really funny. But yeah, that's where I'm at. I also have a Tumblr that's quantum.tumblr.com that I just recently remade because I'm using it as a blog because uh, that's cheaper than dealing with my own hosting solution. Um, so I'm trying to put stuff up on there as I move away from Patreon because of reasons that are probably obvious to anyone that's heard of Patreon recently. Um, but yeah, um, feel free to like we have comments on the website for the show now. Um, so feel free to comment on if you have thoughts on Everett's articles or stuff like that and you don't have a Twitter for whatever reason, um, you know, feel free to do it on there. Um, we also have a Discord. I need to remake our links on our Twitter and I'll probably put the Discord channel up there too um, so that folks that have a Discord account can talk to us in our chat room there. But yeah, feel free to reply to us. Um, we're very happy to talk to folks that have enjoyed it and we're very happy uh, and thankful to have had you on, Christina. I appreciate um, a lot that you spent this time with us. Well, thank you guys for coming. 100%. Yeah. Um, so uh, until until next week, where I think we're going to start talking about The yes. Runaways. Hey! I'm so excited. <laughs> Charlie's never read The Runaways before. And I kept being like, Charlie, read The Runaways. And now Woo! I can make them do it. That's the great thing about having a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'll get you back with that early X Force. Don't you, oh, I'm excited don't you to read worry that. about that? Baby and Nisius. <laughs> Absolutely. You're going to have a good time. Look, you're gonna love it. I'm excited for you. I'm I I know I am. I absolutely do. But um let's just say um that is the end of our show and thank you everybody for listening. Um everybody have a good day. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye.